This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant 18013-5, and surpasses AMVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AmbaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Amva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the AmbaCast, everyone. This week, we're going to be talking about a topic that is increasingly getting more attention and conversation, which is registration stickers on license plates and whether or not states and jurisdictions in the U.S. and Canada will continue using them. And to talk to me about this is Kurt Myers. Kurt is the Deputy Secretary of Transportation in the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation, where he's responsible for all things motor vehicles. A longtime member of the AMVA community, it almost shocks me to say welcome to your first appearance on the AMVACast. Not that we haven't tried, uh, but we finally found the right topic to come and chat about. Well, thank you, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Registration stickers on license plates. I think, you know, we know we have some listeners to this podcast that are less familiar with certain areas of the business. I think it's important to put it in plain speak what we're talking about here when we talk about the stickers. Well, uh, some call them tabs, some call them stickers, but the bottom line is it's the product that uh, many jurisdictions for years have put on their their license plate from from a visual standpoint to demonstrate that the that the vehicle is uh, registered in their particular jurisdiction. And sometimes it's two separate stickers. One might be the month, one might be the year, to show when that registration would expire. Yeah, that's at least a visual indicator, yes. Yeah. Do you know of any that don't do it that way? In terms of when they do have mm-hmm. a sticker, where it's a month sticker and a year sticker, I'm just most familiar with my experience mm-hmm. in Maryland. Well, in fact, uh, before we eliminated the uh, license plate sticker, we used to have the month and the year on one sticker. A single sticker. Right. And so there are some jurisdictions that do it that way. So let's let's start with the Pennsylvania experience, because I think that's why so many folks that are looking at this uh, have been interested to talk to you in particular. When did Pennsylvania first start looking at, does this product make sense to sunset? Well, I'd like to say that we uh, were the first to, to initiate this change, but the real reality is, is that there were a number of jurisdictions before us mm-hmm. that um, actually eliminated their license plate sticker. Uh, going back into the early 90s, Quebec uh, eliminated their, their license plate sticker. New Jersey did, I believe, in approximately 2005, and Connecticut did in 2010. Um, so again, we weren't the first to do it, but I think it was Connecticut's elimination of the registration sticker that caused um, myself and members of my team to start looking at it as to whether or not it would be something that would be good for us. Our vision then and still is for the future that ultimately the elimination of physical products um, is a goal um, and something that we're looking forward to in the future. We know it's not going to happen overnight. Um, We've taken steps to do so. Um, Insurance cards, as an example, can be Mm -hmm. kept on a smart device. We're Mm -hmm. working to have our registration cards kept on a smart device. And certainly, you know uh, better than I do all the work that's been done with mobile driver's licenses. Mm -hmm. So uh, the fact is, is that back in about 2010, we decided that we wanted to take a look at this. But we also wanted to be sure that we had uh, the, the data and facts to back up any decision that would be made. So uh, based upon that, we went to Penn State University and we asked them to do an independent study 
uh, looking at uh, what the impacts may or may not be um, if we were to go about eliminating the, the registration sticker. Um, so they performed uh, that study, uh, interviewed other states uh, that had eliminated the stickers, and uh, through that conversation, they created a report, and I believe that it came out in final in 2011, and it can be found on our website mm -hmm. and is available for anybody who would like to, uh, to review it. At, at that point, <clears throat> and from the standpoint of our discussions, we were always looking at elimination of the registration sticker as a customer convenience. Mm -hmm. That was our first and foremost. We wanted to improve the customer experience by eliminating the sticker, the need to be have to put it on, and some of our Pennsylvania winters can be pretty darn cold, and going out there in <laughs> December or January to put that sticker on your license plate. Just to scrape a, the ice off where the right. sticker's got to go. This wasn't a pleasant experience. And so um, we really always looked at it from a standpoint of improving the and enhancing the customer experience. And so it, because we knew that it would allow us uh, to allow customers to be able to print their registration cards at, at home on their home computers mm -hmm. and uh, and then avoid having to wait for a sticker in the mail. And that was extremely important from our standpoint, not only for our uh, customers in, in general, but in specifically for the trucking industry mm -hmm. in that not having to, uh, to track down a truck to get a sticker to it. Mm -hmm. um, and also the rental car companies. Mm -hmm. um, here again, they may be based in Pennsylvania, but they drive out of state. And of course, when they're renewing, that means then they've got to find the vehicle to put the sticker on the plate. Now they don't have to, uh, to do that. Uh, at the same time that we were looking at this initiative, there was also a discussion in uh, our legislature about uh, increasing uh, funding uh, through the Motor License Fund of which PennDOT, which is the organization mm -hmm. that I'm a deputy secretary of, uh, goes to <clears throat> helping to finance the, the, the roads and highways, mm -hmm. maintenance as well as construction. And as part of that conversation, the, the legislature said to us, look, we're, we're interested in increasing the funds coming into the department, but we also want to know what is the department doing to decrease cost. Mm -hmm. And so as part of our discussions, we said that not only could we improve the customer experience by eliminating the, the sticker, but we could also save money uh, by doing it. And it was a modernization project that would benefit uh, not only our, our, our customers, but again, save money for, uh, for the department. And uh, Act 89, which was a, a legislation that was passed in 2013, did exactly that. It, it uh, uh, had new revenue for the department, but it also allowed us to eliminate the, the registration sticker. Interestingly enough, the legislation uh, took effect three years after the bill was, was passed, and that was something the legislature did in part, I think, uh, to um, allow us time along with law enforcement to have those discussions um, to make sure we were well positioned when we did eliminate the, the registration sticker. So you mentioned there at the end talking with law enforcement. If you go back to the original purpose of the sticker, as you said, it's the visual representation that you've complied and you're properly registered, presumably for law enforcement to see that a vehicle is properly registered. Otherwise, who, who else would need that visual representation, right? Right. That's, that's true, but much has changed yeah. uh, over the years. And I think the sticker at one point served a purpose 
as a visual indicator, um, but it is not something that you can take at face value that either proves or disproves that a vehicle is actually appropriately registered. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, uh, whether it's the uh, law enforcement officer in the vehicle with their laptop or uh, some even more sophisticated workstations within their vehicles, mm -hmm. They're ultimately the only way that they're going to know whether or not that vehicle is truly registered if they hit against the DMV's database, whether mm -hmm. it's PennDOTs or, or, or any others. Right. And until they do that, they don't know whether or not that vehicle is, is actually registered. I mean, we had instances in the past when we had a sticker where people would be pulled over and they would tell law enforcement, oh, I got the sticker and I forgot to put it on. And then they um, check the database and they say that that's true because I see that you, you're current. Right, right. And we have certainly, um, and, and we did have um, issues with crime. You and I are here today in, in Philadelphia. And uh, unfortunately in Philadelphia, when we had the stickers, there were cases where people would literally take aluminum shears and cut the sticker off of mm -hmm. license plates. And so we'd have customers calling us saying, what do I do? The, the sticker was literally cut off my license plate and someone then took that and put that and attached that to um, their license plate, even though that vehicle wasn't legally registered. Um, so again, I think the point here is, is that it's a visual indicator, but it's not a good indicator, as good as you can get with other systems. And certainly checking the DMV system, and we've certainly seen a tremendous growth in license plate reader technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, we make a point of supporting our law enforcement and ensuring through our justice network that on a daily basis, we upload um, a, an exceptions list, if you will. It's registrations that are expired. It is um, tolls that haven't been paid. It is stolen vehicles, um, information of that nature, which is updated on a daily basis. And any uh, local law enforcement agency that has uh, license plate reader technology can uh, get that information uploaded to their system mm -hmm. and in, it works in a way that if you pass a vehicle that's uh, that's not registered and it reads that license plate or that vehicle is stolen uh, it's going to make that officer aware of it right away and imagine if you will the 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 safety aspect of a law enforcement officer knowing that the vehicle they're about to pull over is a stolen vehicle so obviously they're going to react um, completely differently than they would if they were simply pulling somebody over because perhaps they saw an expired sticker. Um, so, you know, that's been an area, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of folks have asked me and we've, we've been in communications with a, a, a number of states. And I think there's been a, I think there's been a growing interest in mm -hmm. the elimination of, uh, of the registration sticker. Um, by a number of jurisdictions, and I think we've seen in uh, the, uh, the AMVA um, newsletters and information being sent out by AMVA the number of jurisdictions that have recently uh, eliminated their registrations, and, and, and many in Canada um, just, just recently saw that Ontario, as I think you're probably aware, eliminated their uh, registration sticker. Um, but I have to say that I've had a number of U.S. jurisdictions who have contacted me as well just to ask me about um, our experience. And one of the things I think that's important because we as an AMVA community um, are just that, a community, mm -hmm. we're concerned about making sure 
that law enforcement is engaged in the process and engaged in the in the discussion. And so, a lot of folks have asked me, well, what has law enforcement's reaction to be to uh, to the elimination? And I will say in general that obviously in the early stages there were some concerns about, well, are we going to eliminate this? How are we going to know? And mm-hmm. you know, and, and those those are understandable questions. But we worked very closely with with law enforcement. And recently, the, uh, there was a hearing um, in which um, the the Pennsylvania State Police participated in. And one of the comments by uh, one of the one of the troopers who was testifying was that. He believed, and I'm paraphrasing here, that, that he believed in general that his troopers were actually um, doing more from the standpoint of calling plates up because the sticker was, was, was no longer on the plate. So it was making them more in tune with checking to see if that vehicle was, was registered. Um, the fact is, is that uh, we've, we've, we've not seen um, a decrease in the number of vehicles registered. So the number of vehicles registered is, is, is remaining the same. Understanding that Pennsylvania's population um, has been relatively consistent over the last mm-hmm. 10 years. Meaning in that one of the concerns might have been without the sticker, mm-hmm. people could think they could buck the system. Who's going to know if I don't Cor- renew my registration? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And our revenues are, you know, are, are up um, in our collections for, for registrations. Um, and yeah, I think that's the other question that I've got from states is, is that, well, what, you know, what, what incentive is there for people to be registered? And what, what I've said in the past is that when we had registration stickers that we had scoff laws. Sure. There's a certain percentage of people who are going to do whatever they can to avoid whether it's paying taxes or whether it's paying their registration. But I will tell you. We had scoff laws before we, when we had the sticker, and we have scoff laws today without the sticker. It, it didn't fundamentally change the fact that the vast majority of our customers are honest individuals or are going to register their vehicles and are looking for the simple convenience. Um, and that's what uh, eliminating the sticker brought to our customers. And one tremendous byproduct of it, that just the unex- unexpected because who could have expected COVID? But when we closed down for a period of time, and even then when we opened up on a limited basis, the fact was is that our customers could continue to go on and renew their registrations and print their registration cards on their home printers in the safety of their home. Now that did two things. Number one, it gave them the ability to feel comfortable that they were registered when they drove around, but as importantly, it continued the revenue flow to the to the Commonwealth because people were still going online, using their credit cards, renewing their registrations, and that revenue was still coming in. And so we really never missed a beat. That was certainly not the intent when we did away with the registration sticker, but it was one of the things that uh, really hit home, and it was something we could really... Um, celebrate not only with internally within PennDOT, but also with the legislators and others that this was a benefit that, that occurred. So it, it sounds like there were the three core reasons that drove you to do this. One was the customer convenience, two is the potential cost savings, and three is where it fits into the overall digitalization, the sunsetting of any physical product. Correct. Um, so let's talk how those three are going. On the customer convenience, have you heard from customers? Has there been a reaction? Are they 
Are they tuned in to the fact that they no longer have to deal with the, the stickers? Well, it's like anything else. In, in the early years, because keep in mind, we've been doing this now. We eliminated the registration sticker over five years ago. Mm -hmm. So in the early years, there was some question, well, where's my sticker? Sure. You know, um, uh, some people were concerned that they were going to get pulled over by law enforcement in other states. And we did in other states, in other states. Okay. Yeah. and we did a huge outreach, not only to U.S. jurisdictions, but also Canadian jurisdictions to make them aware of the fact that we eliminated the sticker. One of the things that we did, and we did it intentionally, is we took the indent off the license plate uh, for issuance and put the outline of Pennsylvania there for those who might wow. have some type of... Um, uh, desire to have something there right. we put something there so it doesn't look like something's missing something right. should be here why is yeah. it there that's right and we had um we, you know people asked us well you know can we can we take the old sticker off and, and we purposely uh, made the point of saying to customers you can leave it on you can take it off you can cover it up you can do whatever you want and and there's a very simple reason for that we did it because if you've ever tried to take one of those stickers off once you put them on they're really stuck to the plate. And we were concerned, number one, that people might um, uh, scratch the plate and hurt the, hurt the sheeting that was on the plate. But, but more importantly than that, we were also concerned somebody might get an X-Acto knife yeah. out there and, and hurt themselves accidentally in trying to get one off. So we just left it go. Today, you can drive around in Pennsylvania and still, some, still see some people who have a very, very faded sticker at this point in time. <laughs> Um, but so some people never took them off. Other people did. Um, and, you know, and of course, we've been issuing new plates as well. So many of them have transitioned to, uh, uh, to the new plate. And what about cost savings? Does that come back to, to help? Sure. And, you know, interestingly enough, that's something we've kept a very, very close look on. And, and, and these are hard cost savings. Mm -hmm. um, keeping in mind, Pennsylvania has about 12 million registered vehicles. And so uh, the hard cost savings to date or a little over $16 million uh, that we've saved in postage and pre-sort and envelopes. Um, and those are the hard costs. There are other soft costs, wear and tear on equipment, um, overtime, whatever it may have been is from the standpoint of employees and things of that nature. Um, so, but the hard costs have been around 16 million. Now, again, that's not a huge number for us, um, but we didn't do it primarily to save costs. It dovetailed into the legislation. Sure. It made sense. But our primary goal was to improve the, the customer yeah. experience. And when you're talking to other jurisdictions that are interested in their watching, what are you hearing as their driving motivation? Other than just the interest of it. everyone else seems to be doing it. I, maybe yeah. I should learn more about it. I, I think it's I think that the 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 underlying reason for people looking at it that I've talked to um, is that customer convenience and the realization that you know really is there really any real value in continuing a process. You know, it's kind of the old you know, saying of, you know, well, we've always done it that way. Therefore, we have to continue to do that way. And so I think all of us, in our, especially in our industry, as you know, across, across AMBA and all the jurisdictions, we're always looking for new ways of, of doing things and uh, improving um, how it impacts, uh, you know, the customer in a positive way. And so I think people are, are looking at it from that standpoint, the customer convenience aspect of it. Um, just like we're doing on the driver licensing side where people are looking even with the real real ID and, mm -hmm. and, and being able to electronically accept you know documents for review prior to the customer coming in. Um, these things I think are all um, an attempt to ensure that we, we, we make the customer experience the very best we can and um, also keep them out of the centers mm -hmm. uh, so that 
um, they're not spending their time at one of our at one of our centers. So I think that's a lot of the motivation. Certainly, people ask me about cost savings, um, but again, uh, you know, that wasn't the main driver for us. It was a secondary driver, um, but ultimately, uh, it fits into our vision for the future as we move forward. Um, and you know, again, we're looking to eliminate uh, physical products as we move forward. And so that's a great segue. What is next in terms of that? process, particularly on, on this vehicle side. Certainly we could talk hours on end about mobile DL and identity, but as it relates to, you know, you mentioned registration. Mm-hmm. There's already a lot of places where you could have the insurance card on your phone, which is really right. just a picture of the card. It's right. not a data document. Right. What are you in PennDOT talking about in terms of the future of the registration? Well, we're certainly we're certainly um, actively involved with EVA in rela- relationship to um, electronic titling. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see that as something that uh, definitely has a future. Uh, so we're we're focused in on on that and the developments. Obviously, as I think you know, it's an incredibly complex subject matter, mm-hmm. less so within the individual jurisdiction, but obviously it becomes much more complex as you expand to to uh, to have that interoperability amongst amongst the jurisdictions. As I, I mentioned, the registration card um, certainly that's something that we see um, happening, and we just need legislation to be able mm-hmm. to do it. Um, Beyond that, uh, and these are sometimes things that we perhaps don't control ourselves, but you know, I really see at some point in time the, the actual physical aluminum license plate becoming obsolete mm-hmm. uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have to believe that at some point in time, manufacturers will want to design a digital uh, display within the design of their, of their vehicle and then our role would be to populate that right. uh, that digital design with uh, with ever, whatever the license plate number might be for identification. Um, that may be something we don't have a lot of control over, but I think it is something that will come in time. Uh, well, with a, it won't be tomorrow, but obviously it is something that we're looking at, and that really dovetails into all the things related to. How do you collect tolls, um, mileage-based user fees, mm-hmm. all those types of things that um, are certainly on the, in the, on the discussion level, and people are looking at, um, and not to mention auto, obviously the discussions with automated vehicles. So there's all these things that are happening, in my opinion, that um, are going to change how we do business uh, dramatically yeah. over the next couple of decades and it's an exciting time quite frankly for what's what's happening um, and to a certain degree there's two steps forward one step back but we're making progress yeah I would even imagine the digital display is another in between right, right now there's of course aftermarket digital displays that could be attached to the vehicle a natural step would be to it just be built into the vehicle mm-hmm. but when you mention you know automated and connected vehicles it almost seems the manufacturer can build in I'm trying not to use the word transponder, but essentially a built-in transponder in the vehicle where you don't need any visual display. It just sends the signal identifying the vehicle that can be read by a, whether it's law enforcement, a toll facility, you know, road use charge, whatever it is. Um, who needs to know that that car is 123 ABC? You just need that, the zeros and ones that go with that car. Right. You know. Right. Privacy advocacy aside, whatever that conversation right. might be, but from the technology right. standpoint, it could work. Yeah, and 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 I think yeah, you're, there's no question about the fact that there's a there's a lot of stakeholders. Yeah, 
Um, and we need to make sure as we move forward, um, even though these are incremental steps, uh, we need to be sure that all stakeholders are at the table. And that's why I said earlier, it's so important, you know, in our conversations with law enforcement and others, mm -hmm. when, when we took this one incremental step, um, that we had their we had their engagement and we had discussions with them and I would encourage anybody that's you know considering it um, to make sure that they bring they identify the stakeholders and bring them to the table early. And are there others besides? I mean, obviously we've identified law enforcement and maybe you know some customers you know for the customer experience. Any other stakeholders we haven't talked about that you know as you are coaching other jurisdictions to tackle this, make yeah. sure these folks are in the room. There. There are, and I think certainly, um, you know, your dealer associations are mm -hmm. critical to have there. Um, Pennsylvania um, has, uh, and I point this out because it's important, and I pointed out to this other jurisdictions that I've talked to, you know, we still maintain a yearly safety inspection of our vehicles, and one of the things that mm -hmm. you're required to do is to show current registration and also current insurance, demonstrate that. So. Uh, you know, having those individuals as stakeholders and be involved in the process is important. And in actuality, what's happened in some cases is, is that, you know, we have people who they take their vehicle, they take their vehicle in for their safety inspection and they, they don't, the person says, I need to see your registration card. And they say, oh, well, I, I, I don't have my registration card. And they can go online right at the station there. The, the station owner can go online for them and, and, and get and print a duplicate registration card oh. or just call it up and look at it if they want to. Usually they end up printing it because the customer says, I need, yeah. I need a copy of it or whatever. So those are some of the conveniences associated with it, um, all, all of which tied together. But, but those stakeholders, whether it's new car dealers, used car dealers, auctions, others, yeah. um, those are all people that you would want to at least let them know what you're doing and that you're moving forward to it so that they have an opportunity to give their input as you go through the process. Now, you mentioned the safety inspection. There's a place where Pennsylvania is in a smaller group of jurisdictions. Much that, smaller. That and getting doing, smaller. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's an annual safety inspection for all vehicles. New vehicles aren't exempt. You know, nothing like that. In general, we don't require a safety inspection for antique vehicles, as an example. So the okay. vast majority of vehicles are required to get a yearly safety inspection. So it's an interesting point as other jurisdictions are looking at sunsetting other programs. You still have a very strong program where you're, you're still touching every customer once a year, right. no matter what, right. making sure right. that other things are in order. And, and interestingly enough, it's, it, it's, it, I don't want to get too far off subject here. It's okay. But, that's what podcasts do. Yeah. You know, wherever, wherever we want yeah. to go. Well, we've, we've started to have these conversations that are actually thankful that we do have a safety inspection program. It's mechanical in nature. We're looking at the mechanical aspects of the vehicle. Mm -hmm. But I think you know Pennsylvania has done a lot of work in autonomous vehicles. And mm -hmm. now there's this whole new dialogue about who is going to ensure that the safety features of an autonomous vehicle, whether level three, four, or, or, or even five, are all working the way that they are, yeah. especially when you get to level, level five because you're totally dependent upon those systems. Level three, obviously a driver can take over, or an operator can take over, level four. But the bottom line is, is that we've begun to have those conversations and we're looking at this now as to, well, what role will our safety inspection program play mm -hmm. in that? moving from or at least adding to the mechanical review of the vehicle and then moving to 
additional checks on things that are safety related that are um, computers, laser, radar. Yep. And then the, the bigger question to that is, all right, who's going to train all these technicians to ensure they know what they're doing to, to, to uh, be able to fix or at least replace uh, a, a unit, uh, whether it's laser or, or, or camera or whatever. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions that are, that are being generated. More questions are getting ge generated than getting answered. So it's, it's an interesting you know, conversation as we progress. Yeah, and I guess in some ways it's no different than maybe 100, 120 years ago when they said, okay, we no longer need the, the blacksmith to fix the horseshoes for the horse and buggy. Mm -hmm. We now need someone to learn how this combustible engine thing works. Uh, and I guess we're about to go through another revolution like that. I think we are. And, you know, I think one of the most valuable lessons in the, in the analogy that you used there is that none of those um, um, blacksmiths who were working on shoeing horses lost their job. They just had to be trained to do another job, but it was, but it was a transition. And, and I think we're going to see that here in that, you know, as we transition to more sophisticated technology for related to autonomous vehicles, obviously it creates a whole new job market of mm -hmm. people who are going to have to have that knowledge um, to be able to do that. So I think there's tremendous opportunities as well. Well, I guess I know the next podcast, I'll invite you back to come talk about when we figure out whatever jurisdiction has the first uh, computer safety inspection on an <laughs> automated connected vehicle and all that checklist right. that they're doing. Very good. Well, it's probably a few years down the road. <laughs> at least people are having the discussion. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Kurt, thanks for chatting with us a bit today. Um, if anyone out there is interested in learning more about what Pennsylvania has done or looking at what your jurisdiction is wants to consider, I know Kurt is more than happy to take those phone calls and emails and chat with you about their experience as well. So again, thanks to Kurt. Thanks to all of you listening. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.